Well, I'm going to have you turn in your Bibles this morning to two different places. Uh, turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 57, Isaiah, chapter 57, and Habakkuk, chapter 3, Habakkuk, chapter 3. I have you turn there now because it might take you a few hours to get there if you don't know where Habakkuk is, and if you have no idea that Habakkuk was even a book in the Bible, uh, it's in the Old Testament. You can look it up in the front of your Bible, and it will tell you what page to turn to, and then we're in Habakkuk, chapter 3. I know that um, when things like this happen in our, in our world, it's not just in our country, it's in our world, um, a, a lot of times we start thinking a little bit more about our own mortality. Those that don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior start to wonder what's going to happen if they do get this virus and pass away, or if something else were to happen and they were to die. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, that is the number one step to getting right with God. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've never gotten that taken care of, if you don't know for sure that if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven. And that's something that you need to get taken care of. I mentioned this last week. I'll mention it again. Fill out that form on the bottom of the page and, and just mention in there that you'd like to know some more about how to go to heaven when you die. I'd be glad to contact you back and let you know uh, some verses from the Bible, talk to you about some verses from the Bible that can tell you for sure that you can know that you'll go to heaven when you die. That's step number one. But for those who are saved, uh, many of us get to the point in our spiritual lives where we backslide, might be the right word for it, where we are not as on fire for God as we once were. And things like this start us to thinking about those kind of things. Where am I at spiritually? How do I stand before God? And that's where the idea of revival comes in. Revival is admitting our sin. It's giving ourselves to God, and it's letting Him change us into what He wants us to be. If you were to ask me for what a definition of revival is, I, I suppose there's a lot of things. I mean, there have been many, many messages preached on revival, uh, but revival is simply a renewed obedience to the Word of God. A renewed obedience to the Word of God. That's what revival is. We already know what we're supposed to do for the most part, but the problem is that so many people are not willing to do it. I would suggest this morning, especially if you're sitting there at your house, to grab a pen and a piece of paper, write some of these points down that we're going to go through this morning. Uh, there's, a, there's a good handful of them, and I could probably preach a message off of each one of these points. I'm going to do my best not to do that this morning. But I want to call your attention to Isaiah chapter 57 and verse number 15. The Bible says this, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Boy, we could take a lot of time to go through that verse and to talk about what that verse is saying there, but contrite and humble, contrite and humble. He's reviving the spirit of those who are humble. He'll revive the, the spirit, the heart of those who are contrite. Turn over to Habakkuk chapter 3. Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse number 2. The Bible says this, O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. But then he says this, O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years make known. In wrath, remember mercy. See, there's a common misconception. 
that revival is a bunch of people getting saved, a lot of people coming and joining the church. And, you know, people have revival services where they're trying to reach people with the gospel. That's not a revival service. That's maybe an evangelistic service, but that's not what revival is. And maybe that's one of the reasons why we're not seeing revival is because we have the wrong, the wrong idea of what revival is. You cannot revive something that was never alive in the first place. Right? Somebody who has never been made alive in Jesus Christ is not being revived. They're being made alive. They're being born again. Revival cannot come to an unsaved person. It can only come to the saved. It can only come to God's people. And the truth is that revival is God's people getting to the place where they should be, where they're very right with him, and he can bless their efforts. Those other things are all just byproducts of revival. Somebody coming to know Jesus Christ as their Savior is a byproduct of somebody who got revival in their own heart and started to be a witness for Christ again. Somebody who, who you know, a bunch of people coming and maybe joining the church is, is a result of somebody who had revival in their heart and started being a Christian, started living like a Christian again. And people see that and they want what they have and they come to Christ and they come to church. Those are all byproducts of revival, but revival only comes when God's people Get back to the obedience of the word of God. And I think we rarely see revival because most people are afraid of how they're going to be perceived if they get right with God. Well, are others going to think that I've done horrible things? I can't come down to the altar and get things right with God. They're going to, they're going to think that I've got some bad things wrong with me. We need to stop worrying about what we look like. We need to stop worrying about what other people think about us. What does God think about us? That's the question. What does God think about you when he looks at you? If you were dying and you knew you were dying, would you do whatever was necessary to live? The answer is obviously yes. Would you care what you looked like while the EMTs were working on you? Of course you wouldn't. You know, uh, would you be so concerned about how you look that you wouldn't let them do their job? Of course not. You would tell them, do whatever you have to do. I need to get well. Right? The fact that we put on those hospital gowns proves that we don't care what we look like as long as we can get well, right? But if you knew that you had a problem, wouldn't you do whatever you had to do to get that problem taken care of physically? And yet how important is it that spiritually, when we know that we have a problem, we're willing to get those things taken care of? Would you do what was necessary to gain spiritual help, spiritual health? The message this morning is simply titled this, I need revival. Here's some ways that we can determine if we need revival. Let's pray, and we'll look at those things this morning. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. I thank you for the time that we can spend together around your word. Pray that you would help us as we listen this morning. I pray that you'd help me as I bring the message that I believe you've laid on my heart to give, that, God, you'd speak to our hearts, speak to my heart, God, that you'd use this message in a way that only you can to help us be what you want us to be, to help us see revival in our own hearts. And God, I pray that you would do your work this morning. We'll thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to give you a warning this morning, maybe, um, but this is, this is not going to be an easy message. Um, Sometimes when we talk about encouragement, this is great. It's an easy message. It's easy to listen about encouragement. Sometimes when we talk about the love of Christ or loving your brothers or things like that, it's, it's an easy message. This is not going to be an easy message this morning because I can tell you that in all of these points, and as I was uh, working on this message, boy, uh, uh, those points just hit me over and over and over again with some of these different things that 
you know, may not be that uh, they're egregious sins or things like that, but things that we definitely need to get taken care of. And I hope you'll open your heart this morning and that you'll allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. But here's number one, some ways that we can determine if we need revival. When I don't hunger and thirst after righteousness, I need revival. When I don't hunger and thirst after righteousness, I need revival. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, and of course this is the, kind of the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus going through all the Beatitudes, all the blessed are they. And he says this in Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 6, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Is there a burning fire inside of you that wants more than anything for you to be right with God? Do you have a hunger for holiness? Do you want to be right with God more than you want to be accepted by your peers, more than you want to be accepted by the world? That's what a hunger and a thirst for righteousness is all about. Now, the Bible very clearly says, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. They're going to be filled. When you have that desire to be righteous, when you have that desire in your heart to be just holy and clean and right before God, he'll fill that desire. Now, it's not going to be necessarily always the way that we want to see it happen. It might be that God has to take us through the fire to get us to that point. Look, the, the most pure things have been through the fire. That's how they're purified, right? But when you have that desire, that hunger, and that thirst after righteousness, God will fill that hunger, and he'll fill that thirst. Do you have that desire? And if the answer is no, or I don't know, I must tell you this morning, you need Revival. Number two, turn over to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. Number two is this, when my delight for the Lord is not as great as my delight or my desire for someone or something else, I need revival. When my delight for the Lord is not as great as my delight for someone or something else, then I need revival. Mark chapter 12 and verse 30 tells us this, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Now that little three-letter word, all, means what? All. It means everything. I ought to love the Lord my God with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, with all of my strength, with everything that's in me. That means if my heart belongs to somebody or something else, then it does not belong to God. He says that in Jeremiah chapter 29, and ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. That's how we need to be going after God. That's how we need to be seeking after him. It's easy to get so involved in a hobby or in work or in a project or a person that you're in a relationship with that God takes a back seat. Oh, those things just, they just take over our lives. Sports often takes the place of the delight that belongs to God. Often people get more excited about a sports score or a game than they do about being in church. You've seen the sports nut, and maybe it's you. There's nothing wrong with liking sports or getting involved in a game or being excited about a game, but where is the same excitement for the things of God? You ought to get more excited about being in church than you do about being at a basketball game. And then you're not going to get up and hoot and holler and all of those kind of things in a church service necessarily, but you ought to have a desire to be in the house of God more than you have a desire to go to a basketball game or a football game or something like that. Well, I don't think it's really much of a coincidence that everything's been canceled. The NCAA tournament, gone. NBA, gone. MLB, gone. I mean, we'll, we'll probably get some of those things back before too long, but I don't think, it's, I don't think that's a coincidence that God allows that to happen. 
Because we get so focused on those things that we lose our focus on what's really important. You want to put the NCAA above your relationship with me? Here. Let me take the NCAA away from you. Same with the NBA. You like the NBA so much that you want to put it above me? Fine. You don't have the NBA anymore. MLB, supposed to have opening day yesterday. That should have been opening, opening, the, the, the opening day of the season. You want to put the MLB, Major League Baseball, above me? Fine. Here. Let me take it away from you. NASCAR, whatever it happens to be. Do you put the relationship with those things, or do you put the relationship with your husband or your wife above your relationship with God? You know, when it comes to a relationship with a husband and wife, I always try to illustrate it by having a you know, picture of a triangle. You've got the husband on the one side and the wife on the other side, and God at the top of that triangle. And the closer you move individually toward God, the closer you're going to move to each other. Well, I can't, I've I, I got to spend time with my wife. We've got to go do this, and we've got to go do that. And sometimes that takes the place of church on Sunday. Sometimes I can't meet with God because I'm, you know, we've we got to go on vacation, and every other week we're going to this place, we're going and doing that thing. But the closer you together move toward God, the closer you're going to move toward each other. The more you try to move to each other, you're staying the same distance away from God, and God cannot bless that. Do you love God today more than you did last month or last year? Is your relationship with Him better than it's ever been? If not, then that means you're backslidden and you need revival. God could take away all those things that you're lifting above Him because He gave them to you in the first place. He's already done some of that with all these sports and everything else, but He could get more personal. He did it with sports, and, you know, I like sports, but it's not the end of the world when sports is gone. Life goes on. But what if you were to take away your husband, or what if you were to take away your wife? What if you were to take away something that you hold very dear to you because you're putting those things above him? He gave them to you in the first place. He could take your house. He could take your fancy cars. He could take your job. He could take any of those things. He's the one that gave it to you. And when you put those things above him, then we need revival. If you can think of anything that you would rather do than being in church and being in your Bible and being in prayer, then you need revival. Turn over to 1 John chapter 1. Here's number three. When my soul does not long for times of rich fellowship with God in prayer and in his word, I need revival. When my soul does not long for times of rich fellowship with God in prayer and in his word, I need revival. 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 6 says this. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Do you remember that 1 John was written to Christians? Oh, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Great verse. It's a great verse to use for somebody that we're trying to lead to Jesus Christ because that applies to everybody. He will forgive our sins. But 1 John was written to those who are saved. So how then, in verse number 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. How can somebody who is saved walk in darkness? When's the last time you really read and studied the Bible to actually get something from it? When's the last time you spent more than a couple minutes in prayer? See, you cannot expect God to lead you in the big decisions in your life. You cannot expect God to guide you in your life if you're not even communicating with him. 
You can't expect him to give you wisdom in raising your children if you're not even communicating with him. You can't expect him to give you wisdom in what should I do with this job situation? Where should I live? What should I do with this situation? God cannot give us that wisdom if we're not even spending time communicating with him. Pretending to read the Bible and faking prayer is living a lie, and it's wicked, and that's exactly what he's talking about in 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him, and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Then the opposite of that is true as well. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ is so and cleanseth us from all sin. See, when your prayer life and your Bible reading become a formality rather than a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ, when you're no longer longing for those times with him, then you need revival. Turn to Psalm 10. Psalm 10, here's number four. When my thoughts and my leisure moments do not reflect upon the Lord, I need revival. When my thoughts and my leisure moments do not reflect upon the Lord, I need revival. Psalm 10 and verse 4, the Bible says, The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. God's saying here that those who don't think about him and dwell upon him in all of their thoughts are wicked people. And it doesn't mean that every moment of every day I have to be thinking about, oh, God's great, God's good, all of these things. He is. But all of the things that we think about and all the things that we dwell upon ought to reflect on the goodness of God and ought to be with that thought in mind. When you're right with God, you're going to enjoy meditation with him apart from just your times of being in church, apart from times of just maybe devotions. Do you praise God? How often does your heart just well up and thank God for the fact that he saved you? How often does your heart just well up and thank God for the fact that he's given you a great place to be uh, together on the word of God and to be in fellowship with other believers? How often do you just thank God for the things that he's done for you? You disobey hundreds of commands to praise God when you neglect to do so. The Bible is filled with commands that we ought to be praising him. It's good to listen to godly music. By the way, we ought to be doing that. It keeps your heart and your mind focused on him. You should be listening to that godly music. That helps you to keep your focus on the things of God rather than on the things that you ought not to be thinking about and dwelling upon, which, let's be honest, is what the, most of the world's music is all about. You know, well, it's just country music. Think about, you know, I, I, I haven't listened to country music in, in a long time. And every once in a while you hear songs that come on and you pick out phrases or things like that when you're in a store or something like that. But when you actually stop and think about what the words are being said in some of these country music songs, everybody says, well, I'm just a, I'm just a hillbilly. I listen to country music. Think about what they're talking about in some of those songs, you know? cheating on your husband or your wife, one night stands, and all of this drinking and everything else. Is that, are those things that are healthy for our spirituality? Are those things that are healthy for our spiritual minds to be dwelling upon? Well, you may never run off with somebody else's husband or wife. You may never go have a one-night stand. You may never go sit in a bar and drink beer. But that's the things that your mind is focusing on. And the more you focus on those things, the more it becomes, it's likely to become a reality in your life. So yes, we ought to be focusing on good, godly music, but sometimes we just need to turn off the music, turn off the radio, and quietly sit and let him speak to you. Some of the times that I enjoy the most are when I'm driving down the car, driving in the car down the road by myself with no music on or anything like that and just thinking about what God's done 
and allowing him to speak to me and allow him and allowing him to talk to me the way that he wants to. We have to keep our minds busy so often. So few Christians sit and meditate on the things of God. We've got to be constantly having something in front of our face. We've got to constantly be having things coming into our ears. We're so it's such a rare time when we just sit and quietly meditate on the things of God and let him talk to us. What you think about in your leisure time defines who you really are. When my leisure, when my thoughts and my leisure moments don't reflect on God and on his word, I need revival. Turn over to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, number 5 is this. When I persist in known sin, I need revival. When I persist in known sin, I need revival. Romans chapter 6, Paul speaking here in verse number 12 says this, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. He's saying don't let that sin stay there. Do you look at things on the internet that you know are not pleasing to God? Do you watch things on the TV that you know are not right? Are you involved in, in business deals or practices that you know are not right? Are you holding on to something that you think nobody else knows about? Do you have anything between you and your relationship with God that's holding your relationship back? See, your relationship with God can never be right until you make those things right. Oh, every Christian would say, yes, I want to have a relationship with God. I want to be what he wants me to be. But when you have those things in your life that are, become, that are coming between you and God, then your relationship with God cannot be right. James chapter 4 and verse 17, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him, it is sin. Sometimes it's not even the sin of things that we do. It's, sin of, it's the sin of the things that we don't do. When you know you ought to be witnessing for Christ and you don't, that's sin. When you know you ought to be spending time in your Bible and you don't, that's sin. When you know you ought to be praying and you don't, that's sin. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Now, some can claim ignorance. I don't know. I didn't know that that's what I was supposed to be doing. But it can only last for so long because we ought to be in the Word of God. And the more we're in the Word of God, the more we're going to learn about the things that we should do and the things that we should not do. But to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. When you're willing to pardon your sin under the idea that you're only human, then you need revival. Well, I'm, a, I'm just human. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to fail. And yes, we will. But that's not an excuse. And when we use that as an excuse to pardon our sin, we need revival. When you make excuses for your sin, it's because you love that sin more than you love God. And you need revival. We have to have a hatred for sin, not just when we get caught or sin is what caused Christ to have to go to the cross and be whipped and beaten, to be spat upon and to be crucified. And when you look at those who have persisted in known sin, they always get caught, and their end is bitter. I won't have you turn to these verses, but you know Numbers chapter 32 and verse 23. But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. You think it's hidden. You think it's tucked away in a closet somewhere and nobody else knows about it. But be sure your sin will find you out. It does come out. God knows. And it's going to come out in the open. A lot of people have learned how to fake Christianity while their insides are filled with wickedness. And that's one of the things in Matthew chapter 23 that Jesus just got to the Pharisees about. 
That's one of the things that he, that he hammered them so hard on so many times. Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful on the outside, but inside, within, full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. You know, that's what they used to do in these cemeteries. They didn't necessarily bury people underground. They had these tombs that they had. And, of course, the tomb of Jesus, you know, they rolled the stone in front of it. That's how they buried somebody. What they would do in, uh, in these cemeteries is that they would just paint the entire thing white. It would look beautiful on the outside, but obviously the inside is full of dead bones. It's just dead bodies in there. And you can imagine the stench and the, and the rottenness that's on the inside. And that's exactly what Jesus was, was, uh, was hammering the Pharisees with, is that you look so good on the outside, but inside it's empty. Inside you're just, you're rotten. You're filled with all uncleanness. And I can't help but wonder how many Christians that come to church week after week after week, how many Christians that pretend to be right with God, that, that look so good on the outside, but are filled with all uncleanness, when you persist in that sin, then you need revival. Let's turn over to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1, this kind of goes right along with that last point, but this is number 6. When I take a light-hearted view of sin, I need revival. When I take a light-hearted view of sin, I need revival. When you're no longer repulsed by the wicked things that you hear or see, you need revival. Titus chapter 1 and verse 15 says this, Unto the pure, all things are pure. But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. You see, there's a lot of people that see uh, or, or hear a double, a double meaning in everything. Their minds are so filled with the garbage that they see on the internet. Their minds are so filled with the things that they listen to on the radio, depending on what you're listening to or watch on the television, that everything you hear could be pure, but you have to turn it into something that's dirty and vile and disgusting. The Bible says, unto the pure, all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled, everything is defiled. Everything is unclean. And they see that and they hear that everything, even their mind and their conscience is defiled. And the sad thing is, it's a lot of people who profess to know God. They claim to be Christians, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient unto every good works reprobate. How do you get over that? How do you stop being able to, you know what I mean, once your mind is filled with those things, isn't that something that you always hear? Well, you hear somebody say this, and the first thing that pops in your mind is the dirty side of whatever that person said. How do you get rid of that? It's by focusing your mind and your heart on the things of God. Focusing your mind and your heart on the Bible, focusing on the things that we talk about, meditating on God and on his word. He can clean up a dirty mind the same way you can go into a building that just looks like it's been completely trashed. You can go in there and you can clean that building up. Does it take a lot of work? Yes. Does it take a lot of effort? Yes. Does it take a lot of sacrifice? Yes. But it can be cleaned up and it may never be completely perfect, but you can clean up a dirty mind. And unto the pure, all things can become pure again. You see, when you start to accept a few wicked things as just normal, it's not going to be long before you're accepting all of it. And that's what happens so many times with television programs and, and all of these different types of things where you're just hearing cursing nonstop. And, well, I mean, I could go to Walmart and people are cursing all over the place, or I can go here and I can hear people cursing all over the place. Five, 10, 15 cuss words in a, in a, in a thing ain't, ain't nothing compared to what I normally hear. 
but you can help that. You can keep those things from coming in. And the more you get used to hearing those things, the more you get used to seeing those things that are not right, the more it becomes normal to you. And we, that's an indication that we need revival. Sin is still sin no matter how accustomed you become to it. And it should repulse you. And by the way, just because they make it legal doesn't make it right. When you hurt God and you take it lightly, you need revival. The Bible says that very clearly in Isaiah chapter 55 and verse number 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. If that's not a picture of what revival is, I don't know what, a, what revival is. Look what he says there. Let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto God and he'll have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon Turn to Psalm 122. Here's number seven. When I lose my delight and desire for church services, I need revival. When I lose my delight and desire for church services, I need revival. David said in Psalm 122 and verse one, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go, let, let, let us go into the house of the Lord. Do you love coming to church or do you just endure the services because you know you should be there? I think that happens a lot of times with, with people who grow up in church, kids especially. Oh, it's time to go to church again. When are we going to ever stop going to church? Well, it's never going to stop. They, they, they don't like to be there. They don't enjoy being at church. But that happens with adults too. Whether you grew up in church or not, we can get to that point. You love coming to church or you just endure it. It's easy to get complacent and let it become a formality rather than looking at it as an opportunity to have a chance to meet with God and to worship Him. It should be a joy rather than an obligation. I'll bet when this is all over, a lot of us will have a renewed joy for the opportunity to come together to worship God. You know, you don't realize what you have until you don't have it anymore. And that's exactly what's happened with church services and things like that. We, we, we get so complacent and, well, I, I enjoy coming to church. It's okay, but I don't enjoy in it. I don't delight in it. I'm not looking forward to it as the highlight of the week. You sing with all your heart when it's time to sing. You don't have, a, have to have a beautiful voice to be able to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. I'm thankful we're blessed with a lot of people in our church who actually can sing. And when we sing together as a congregation, it sounds beautiful. And if you can't sing, there's nothing wrong with that. There's plenty of other people around you who will drown you out. But sing when it's time to sing. That shows that you're glad to be there. It shows that you're wanting to worship the Lord. Do you dress your best every time you come to meet with God? See, a lot of people today question why we still dress up for church. Nobody does that anymore. Oh, the church I go to, I mean, I always thought it was kind of awkward, but the church I go to, they don't mind if you show up in shorts and T-shirt and flip-flops. You know, I hear that all the time. Well, I know it's a little awkward. It took me a little while to get used to it, but I don't even think about it now. You know, those same people dress up to go before a judge. Those same people dress up and, and would certainly dress up if you're going to go meet the president of the United States. Those same people dress up to go to a job interview to try to get that job or to, to try to get a promotion. And yet, when we stand before the God of heaven, when we meet the God of heaven together in worship, we can dress as sloppy as we want to. Why don't we give God the same respect that we give a judge? Why don't we give God the same respect that we would give a president or a boss? Why don't we do those things? That's why I still wear a suit to church. It's not because I think I'm better than anybody else. But I'll tell you one thing. You know how it is. This, this, this is always the way that it was when we were in school. When I was growing up, we had to wear khaki pants and a collared shirt to, to school. 
Uh, but on the days that we had soccer games or wrestling meets or basketball games, we had to wear a suit. And I'll tell you what happened when we got in to school on those days when you're wearing a suit in school. You acted differently. You know, if you're wearing shorts and a T-shirt, you're going to sit there relaxed because that's exactly how you feel. When you're dressed up, it kind of makes you stand a little bit taller. kind of makes you walk a little bit different. You're not going to be as relaxed as you would if you were sitting there, you know, leaned back in your pew. That's why we dress up for church. I want God to have my best. And if my best is, I don't even, if I don't have a suit and my best is a nice pair of pants and a collared shirt, then dress in that. But we ought to be dressed up in our best and we ought to have our best mindset and we ought to be as sharp as we can physically and mentally when we show up to worship God. Does he not at least deserve that little bit from us? He does. Our attitude in church should be, God, what can I change to help make me better for you? And clothes don't make a person. But they sure put us in a right mindset to be in the, in the mindset of, God, what do you want me to do today? Rather than, well, here we are. Let's give me my coffee and my donuts and all that kind of stuff. I'm going to be smacking my lips during the service because we can eat in church here. Oh, that's not what our mindset ought to be. Our mindset ought to be, how can I be as sharp as I can be for God? When you don't look forward to hearing from the word of God, then you need revival. You cannot keep your fire for God when he doesn't have your heart in church. And when I lose my delight and desire for church services, I need revival. Moving on to Matthew chapter 12. Turn there with me, if you will. Here's number eight. When my conversation is dominated by the things of the world, I need revival. When my conversation is dominated by the things of the world, I need revival. Matthew chapter 12 is a very sobering verse. Think about what he says here in verse 36. But I say unto you, that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Can you think back over a conversation that you've had today or the conversation that you've had yesterday? Have any idle words in your speech? I suppose that's one of the, uh, that's, that's where curse words would fit. Now, the Bible doesn't say thou shalt not curse. I mean, it certainly says thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Oh, my God, or OMG, is taking the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And people throw that around so flippantly. They throw it around so easy. That's one of the Ten Commandments. Do you know that? Well, I'm a good person. I don't break the Ten Commandments. I don't, I don't steal and cheat and, you know, kill and all those kind of things. But you take the Lord's name in vain. But I think cursing could easily fall under this verse. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. You know what that means when we say an idle word? It's written down. Nope, there's another idle word. He writes it down. And we're going to have to give account for every single one of those words. You know what that means to me? That means that our speech is very important. What we say is very important. And when my conversation is dominated by the things of the world, then I need revival. Your speech betrays your heart. See, when your heart is full of the things of the world, there cannot be room for the things of God. The Bible tells us that out of the abundance of our hearts, the mouth speaks. 
That's why it's so important what you watch and what you listen to because the more you fill your mind up with that garbage, that fills your heart up with those things. And even though you know, it, it's, it's important what you meditate on, you can have the whole world fooled, but what's in your heart is the real you, and it's eventually going to come out. It's going to come out. When you, you might look like one of those whited sepulchers that has everything perfect on the outside, but when your heart is filled with all of that garbage, one day it's going to come out. It's going to come out. Turn over to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, here's number nine. When I view view the commandments of Christ as restrictions rather than as expressions of his love for me, I need revival. When I view the commandments of Christ as restrictions rather than as expressions of his love for me, I need revival. John chapter 14 and verse 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. Often people peer into the world and they see how much fun it looks like they're having the alcohol and the parties and the promiscuity and the list could go on and they hate the word of God for the restrictions that the word of God puts on us. Well, you can't do those things. You're not allowed to do that kind of stuff. That's what leads to bitterness. I want that, but I can't have it, so I'm going to get mad about it. I'm going to get bitter about it. Have you considered the end of those that are in the world? They, they, They have broken homes because of alcohol. They have broken homes because of the promiscuity. They have no joy in their lives. They have no joy at home. They have wasted lives. Who in their right mind would desire that? It's not that we cannot do those things. It's that we don't have to. I'm not a prisoner to those things. If I wanted to right now, I could walk out there. I could walk out and go to the store and buy a 24-pack of, of Budweiser and get drunk. I could do it if I want to. I don't have to. Those in the world, and I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to categorize everybody in the same category, but those in the world who think that the only way to have a good time is to go out and buy a pack of Budweiser and get drunk, they're the ones that are in bondage to those things. I could go out and smoke 10 packs of cigarettes all at the same time if I wanted to. I don't have to. But think about somebody who smokes. They're addicted to those things. They're the ones that's in chains, not me. Those who are addicted to the promiscuity and the parties and all of that stuff. I'm not the one that's in change to those things. I could do them if I want to, but I don't have to. Those who are living in the world and who are in bondage to the things of the world have to do those things in order to be accepted. They have to do those things because they're addicted to them. They're the ones that's in bondage, not me. God's restrictions in those areas are only protecting us from what would ultimately be our downfall. And you see people fall left and right in this world today because of those things. God's protecting me from that. You follow your own way, you're going to reap what you sow. If you follow God out of duty rather than out of love for Him and out of a love for righteousness, then you need revival. I can remember growing up, and I was young. I was probably four or five years old, but we had a little black mutt named Tacky. I don't know if Brian remembers this or not. He was pretty small, but... Our job, and we had just a little, felt like a huge backyard when I was growing up, but I've been back there before, and it's about the size of a postage stamp. But it had a little, a little fence around the back, and in the very back of the yard was a little gate. That gate was always supposed to stay closed because that dog would try to get out. And one day, right before school, I went downstairs, and I let the dog out, and for some reason, the back gate 
had been left open. I don't know how it got opened or who left it open, but that dog shot out like a bullet, went straight through that gate and ran out, and we never saw that dog again. You know, I can imagine that every day that dog walked out of there and he thought, boy, if that gate's ever open, I'm gone. If that gate is ever open, I'm gone. But what he didn't realize was that that fence and that gate was actually there for his protection. I don't know if he ended up getting hit by a car or if he got eaten by a coyote. I don't know what happened to that dog. But what he left that day was a family that took care of him, a family that played with him, a family that loved him as a pet. He had all of that, and yet all he could see was the other side of the fence. I want what's over there. And he left the protection of those boundaries and went out, and I don't, who knows what happened to him. But that's what happens so many times with Christians. Oh, if I could only get outside the boundaries of the Word of God, look how much fun they're having. And if I ever get the chance, boy, I tell you, and kids all the time, I turn 18, I am gone. And they run out into the world, and they jump off the deep end, and they realize and they learn the hard way that those boundaries were there not to make life miserable for them. Those boundaries were there for their protection. And the same thing is true in our lives as we get older. Just because we're adults doesn't mean that those protections are not there for, uh, those boundaries are there for our protection. They are there for that very reason. And the restrictions and the commandments and the things that we find in the Word of God are not there to make our life miserable. They're there for our own benefit. They're there for our own protection. And if I follow God out of a duty rather than out of love for Him, then I need revival. Turn over to 1 John chapter 2. Number 10 is this, when I strive for the approval of the world more than for the approval of God, I need revival. I think you're probably pretty familiar with 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And verse 17 is, is, really goes along with exactly what I was talking about in that last point. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. When your heart is dominated by worldliness and following the fashions of the world, then you need revival. When you allow your children to watch the latest movies and listen to ungodly music, or when you do those things yourself, it shows that you have a desire to be of the world, and it's not pleasing to God. You don't want your kids to be viewed as weird or different, so you allow them to do the things that, well, I, it's kind of pushing the line, but I, I don't want people to think my kids are weird, so they can do this. You know, many parents allow their kids to do those things because they know that they have a pile of things in their own life that they know that their kids know about, and so they can't tell their kids they can't do this thing if their kids are going to see that they're doing this other thing, and they can't tell their kids no. Because of the hypocrisy. The truth is, they want to watch those movies. They want to listen to that music themselves. And they can't hardly restrict it from their children. Anything that could not be watched with Jesus Christ sitting right next to you is something that should not be watched. When you become ashamed of your godly lifestyle around the people in the world, then you need revival. And how many of us get that way? Oh, Christians go into workplaces and they, they may not be overtly, you know, against the word of God, but they certainly don't want people to find out that they are living, you know, that they're a Christian. And when you're ashamed of your Christian lifestyle so that you don't, so that other people don't find out that you're a Christian, you need revival. When you accept the filth of the world around you and it no longer bothers you, you need revival. Turn over to Romans chapter 2. Here's the last point, number 11. 
And this kind of focuses a little bit more on everything that we've been talking about this year up to this point. When I'm not brokenhearted over souls on their way to hell, I need revival. When I'm not brokenhearted over souls on their way to hell, I need revival. We've mentioned these verses and we've even memorized Romans chapter 10 and verse number 1. But Paul's heart is so evident here. He says that I have great heaviness, Romans chapter 9 and verse number 2, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Romans chapter 10 and verse 1, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Often the reason that people are not willing to serve in a ministry or why they're not willing to go on visitation is because it costs them more than they're willing to pay. It costs too much time. It takes too much dedication. Why are we left on this earth after we're saved? If the whole purpose of us being here was for God to take us to heaven the moment we accept him as our Savior, he would do that. But he's got a job for each one of us to fulfill, and it's that purpose that we have to figure out. And it doesn't matter if you work in construction or if you're a, a police officer or if you do some other kind of job. That's, you're, not a, you're not a police officer who happens to be a Christian. You're not a construction worker who happens to be a Christian. You're a Christian who happens to be a construction worker. That's what we ought to be. Our number one job and our number one responsibility is to be a Christian and to tell other people about what Jesus Christ has done for us. There are a lot of people that you come into contact with every week who need a friend and who need Jesus Christ. Can you stand idly by and watch those people die and go to hell? Does your heart burn for their need enough to do something about it? You beg God to save your friends and your relatives who are not saved. When you fail to witness because of a fear of rejection or for any other reason, then I need revival. Turn over to 1 Chronicles chapter 28 and we'll be done. I want to look at this one last verse. There's so many things that we need to work on in our lives. And I know I, I mentioned that we could probably preach a message on every single one of these points. And I, I really think that we could because they're all so necessary. And we could probably add another 10 or 15 things that would give us an indication that we need revival in our lives. But it all comes down to this. Is my desire to be right with God stronger than it was yesterday? Am I more right with God today than I was yesterday? Is my heart perfect before God in every way? See, if I can't answer yes to all three of those questions, then I need revival. First Chronicles chapter 28 and verse number 9, David is talking to his son. He's getting ready to pass away, and he's passing on this little bit of wisdom, and, and of course, David was, was very wise. Solomon ended up becoming wise as well. But this is some wisdom that David passed on to Solomon in First Chronicles 28 and verse number 9. And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart, with a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him... He will be found of thee, but if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. Now, I hope it doesn't come across that I'm mad at you this morning or anything like that. I'm not, but so many of us fall sh so short in the area of pleasing our Savior. And life, uh, life is only fulfilled when we are living to please our Savior. I want you to have the joy of knowing that you're completely right with God. I want you to have the joy of seeing what happens in your life when you decide to really get right with God. 
Are you willing to make the necessary changes to see revival in your life so that God can use you once again? Let's pray. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. I thank you again for your word. I thank you for the time that we can spend gathered around it. And I pray that you help each one of us our own lives and see if we need revival. See if we fall short in any of these areas. God, there's so many things that we need to work on, so many things that we need to fix. God, if we need revival, I pray that we'd see it in our own hearts. I pray that we'd see it in our own lives and that it might spread to, to this church and to this area and to our country. We need revival so bad in this day. There's so many people that need to be saved that are only going to happen when a Christian sees revival and becomes a witness for Jesus Christ. So many people that need to be saved, that's only going to happen when Christians see revival and start living like Christians again. God, I pray that you'd help us to make the decisions that are necessary this morning so that you might use us in a way that only you can. Well, thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have a time of invitation. The piano's going to play. If you're there at home, you can kneel there at your couch. If you're here, you can kneel there at your seats. What, a, what an important responsibility we have. What an important thing it is to make sure that we're right with God. Oh, we have such a, a need in this day and age to be right with God. Time is short. Time is short. If the Lord tarries, we might have a few more years. We might have decades, but we don't know. If you look at everything that's going on around us, time is short. This is not the time to be comfortable. This is not the time to relax. This is the time to get right with God. It's a time to see revival. It's a time to get on fire for God and allow him to use us and, and live through us in the only the way that he can and, and only the way that he wants to and that he would give us those desires. God's spoken to your heart this morning. Won't you get those things right with him? As the piano plays, the invitation is open.